Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Bald Move Pulp, your officially unofficial podcast for everything pulpy. Today, we got something special to talk about. You know, Jim, been kind of gray in the Midwest, feeling kind of blah, kind of ran down. Just heard yesterday Snoop Dogg quit smoking weed. No, Swore that off was that's, that's a deep fake. That's a deep it's, fake it's, sentence. It, it, just got, it just got me feeling like a machine. <laughs> that ain't no way to feel, baby. Uh-huh. And the only cure was to pop on pop in shaft. Uh pop in to my me- my online media collection that doesn't pop in or out. Uh mm-hmm. and watch Shaft for the first time. Could you dig it? I I, I sound dig so it, baby. white. I sound so white. Yeah. yeah, could 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 you dig it? I just set up yours, baby. Uh I I you, I realized you jive turkey watching this that i actually knew a quote from the movie shaft even though i'd never seen the movie shaft and it's that one i just set up yours baby uh <laughs> that that is the beginning to a white zombie song electric head part two which oh, i listened shit. to in my youth a lot and he said it and i was my mind was blown so i'm more familiar with shaft than i thought i was before we started this experiment um have you had, so you, you you haven't seen Shaft? Uh, I Never. I hadn't either. Um, let, let's 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 talk a little bit about this. This is the rare uh, first time for both of us on a classic movie. Uh, it's mm-hmm. nineteen seventy one film, uh, directed by Gordon Parks, uh, poet, uh, screen. Uh, what do you call that? Uh, playwright, uh, screenwright, director. Uh, directed the Learning Tree, Shaft, Shaft's big score. So a civil rights activist too. I don't remember if I mentioned that, um, which I think has a big impact on this film. Uh, it was co- uh, co-written by the author of Shaft, and novel, Ernest Tidyman. Stars Richard Roundtree. Uh, you can see him in Roots. He played the district attorney on Seven. He's in all the Sam- Samuel L. Jackson uh, Shaft revivals. Mm-hmm. Moses Gunn, who played Othello on Broadway, and Joe on Little House on the Prairie. I was like, I know this guy. Where did I know him from? He's, he's Joe on Little House. Charles Siafi, I think is how you pronounce that, who's just a bit game, just a day player in every television show you've ever heard of, from Kojak, Frasier, Wings, X Files, NYPD Blue, uh, and Christopher St. John, who didn't have a lot of movie credits. He was a minor player in Remington Steel. Uh, what and and also just has a fantastic soundtrack by Isaac Hayes, uh, an, an Oscar nominated soundtrack, iconic. Yeah. When we, I, so I was going into watching this, and I'm, I'm like, I had, I was of two minds. I was excited to see classic, you know, this, this, this reputation is, is legendary, you know, Shaft's first black action hero. But I was also like, this movie's made in 1971. It's a black exploitation film to mm-hmm. exploiting blacks and like my god the the politics and the culture of this film must have aged in dog years uh i was super pleasantly surprised by how utterly devoid of cringe it's not completely devoid of cringe this movie was made <laughs> in 1971 after all but uh-huh. i was in in just just gobsmacked by how modern the sensibilities felt in a lot of this movie yeah, I mean, the thing that dates it most is the language, right? I mean, it's just nobody talks like that anymore. But I, I feel like everything else, it it didn't, yeah, it didn't feel super dated to me, surprisingly. Because, it, and, and it's, um, 
but man, the, the, this was not universally acclaimed when it first came out. Uh, I noticed that Roger Ebert and, and Gene Siskel both kind of panned it. Uh, I thought huh. that was interesting. I can but, see why. Yeah. It, it's not a perfect movie by any stretch. It isn't. And, uh, there's, there's definitely flaws, but like, I just like, I love Private Eye, Private Detective movies. I love like, uh, you know, Humphrey Bogart, a Sam Spade, Maltese Falcon, one of my favorite movies. And I felt like that there, this is, this is just a really good private eye movie. Like this is a very good, mm-hmm. like it, it hits all those. Like he's got the grimy, uh, office, uh, where the bad guys are always breaking into and waiting for him to show up. And mm-hmm. he's got an uneasy, he's kind of caught between the underworld and the cops and they're both trying to sweat him from both ends. He's quick with a word, sharp with his wits, skilled with the ladies. Um, mm-hmm. It plays so. You even got a MacGuffin, like in the form of uh, what is it? Uh, Bumpy's Bumpy. daughter is essentially his yeah. daughter is essentially the Maltese Falcon of this film. Uh, just something for John Shaft to be chasing after. Uh, and and the things that the, the it shared almost the identical strengths and weaknesses. The strengths of things like the Maltese Falcon are the machine gun speed dialogue, just the the quippy one liners. Uh, you know Humphrey Bogart outsmarting the bad guys, getting the better of them. Um, the you know periodness of it, I think, mm-hmm. adds to it. Um, but it also shares a couple of the weaknesses. I think there were some pacing issues. I feel like in both like Maltese Falcon and Shaft, the protagonists are. Like the movie doesn't have a, a plot so much as the plot is like a bunking bronco for the heroes to ride for about an hour and a half, and you know, like I I, I don't know that everything and hundred percent connected, but boy, it it is really fun, just a really fun movie going experience, um, and, and entirely enjoyable to watch. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah, I, I was just shocked. No, I, I agree. I, I really like the character of Shaft, too. I think, like, and I, I think the, so the intro to this movie is incredible because it tells mm-hmm. you so much without actually needing to say much at all. <laughs> and it's helped yeah. by an, an amazing, iconic Isaac Hayes song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as much, as great as that scene is, I do have some quibbles with the end of this movie. But, like, John Shaft as a character, I think, is right up there in the pantheon of badasses, and we need to add him to the list this year. You know what? Uh, hold the phone. I'm going to do that. I'm going to add uh, 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 way high. The thing is, is boy, we're going to have to we're going to have to watch more Shaft. Oh boy, more Richard Roundtree. Yeah, because like more I... Richard Roundtree because he's <laughs> he's in a lot of sh- he's in a lot of Shaft, but uh, he should definitely be uh-huh. in the conversation. Um, yeah, and I just like. This dialogue is so clever. That's what I love about these movies. It's like they have just so many great, you know, one-liners. Um, like I, when Bumpy asked, "How do you got this?" My private numbers. I got off the wall, the goddamn subway, and uh, what was it? I like oh, how entertained the, he is by his own jokes a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the big laughs he has, and uh-huh. uh, what um, what Bumpy says to him when he's like, "You're uh, what do you say?" It's like something about. Uh, you're like you're a hard man to find is like well you ride a tall you ride an awful tall horse like you're coming at me high horse or something i thought that was really fun yeah his his comebacks uh, are amazing i i love i love the respect that he has for certain people but he he's clearly got like a chip on his shoulder which he should 
but he's also got respect for the people who don't play who don't play around who are in, who are playing the same games kind of that he is you know like mm. Vic he he has a different respect for Vic because Vic isn't an asshole to him right whereas everybody else yeah. kind of is and I, they look down on him whereas Vic just kind of sees him as doing a job and I I really appreciated the way they interacted throughout this movie yeah, because that's the other, like, you know, super cliche trope for you've always got, like, a good cop and a bad cop. It's like one guy's like, you know, you know, it's like, sure, gonna shut you down, Sam. I'm going to pull your license. The other's like, oh, don't worry about him, Sam. He's a little hothead. He's having problems with what you had right, that same like dynamic. Die Hard 2 or whatever, right? Like, right. The, the cop there in the, the airport. Right. But you had a thick layer of, like, underlying racism to everything that kind of, like, you know, gives gives that even, you know, like more more charge. Uh huh. Um, but uh, I was also surprised at how kind of like clean and engaging the filmmaking was. Like I was expecting this to be very B in you know the way its shot selection is, uh, the you know the the use of like set and setting. But like man, it felt. Um, I mean, this is what a great a great setting. Like this is essentially set in in like you know we talked about how cool the deuce was you know when the they've got they yeah. show the village and they show second street and and um uh you know the hbo series by by david simon mm-hmm. but this is like that in real life like that is yes. the set that he is using it's and contemporary it's authentically yeah. living and vibrant but also grimy and seedy and dark and uh, you know, it feels like if you walk down the wrong alley here and there, you might not walk out of it. And like Shaft just confidently navigates this terrain. Like it's almost like, um, you, you know, like he's got that, like that charisma where he mm-hmm. walks into a room and like big tough guys give him all kinds of shit and guff and he serves it back to them double and yeah. makes a meet it while he watches them. Like I, that's the thing is like the mystique this character has, like, how is he so badass that he's essentially cool in every hood, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. also like can back down the biggest gangster, the most intimidating lieutenant in the police department, just doesn't give a fuck and just backs it up like, you know. Well, he's he's I guess cool that late- with the people who are cool with him, right? Like he he's got a he's got one foot in every every burrow here it seems like he can travel through circles that a lot of people can't and and they're that's useful to them right so like they take his guff when he when he dishes it out yeah and he ran in a lot like he's got a lot of experience there's like a lot of like there's a this is a deep character like the hint you Mm -hmm. know it's like he's he ran around the black panthers a few years ago he's got to connect to that it's kind of burnt and he also ran around in some criminal organizations but now he's gone legit and you know, he's uh, looks after the kids in the community and, mm-hmm. he and he's got the connection have... to the underworld. So the cops are like wanting to use him for that. And yeah. yeah. And he's always trying to maintain like, you know, it's like, yeah, I'd be the greatest criminal informant you'd ever have. But then I wouldn't have. Yeah, it's it's like I said, it's it's exactly the stuff that they're doing in every other, you know, hard boiled detective movie. Um, it's just it, it reminded me a lot of well, like he's... watching American Gangster where it's like. You know, this is not just a black version of a thing, but like almost a superior version because of the extra context and texture that you get from these these characters, these larger than life characters. Yeah, and it's, it's largely comes from like the hustle stuff that they they're talking about in this movie. Like th- there's so much about that that's kind of like under the surface and sometimes it bubbles up and like, you know, you get a scene between Bumpy and 
uh one of shaft's friends that's like oh yeah i respect the, the hustle right everybody's hustling i lied to you but that's mm. the hustle and you're playing it too mm. and it comes to the surface but everything is the hustle right like his it's in the music here it's in the setting it's in the character of shaft and the way he interacts with the cops and the underworld it's all hustle it's like everybody's just trying to get by in a bad situation here and shaft sometimes has the worst of it and sometimes has the best of it when he's getting paid you know fifty thousand dollars or whatever it is to get started on a case and there, I wasn't expected for like just how shockingly good some of the scenes and performances was like there's yeah. um, I love this. The the initial scene in The Godfather where you're like for 15 minutes, it feels like just pushing in on this Italian baker's face as he tells this story. And it mm-hmm. starts off where he's beaming with pride for his country and, you know, the contributions and his daughter and how he's lived his life as a proud Italian American. And then it slowly turns into him pleading Don Corleone. I need justice for my there's a scene with um, Moses Gunn as as Bumpy where he goes in like just full of swagger and he's impenetrable and he's armored up and he's, mm-hmm. you know, and he's 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 uh, slow um, one by one. He's kind of humbled by a shaft and circumstances till at the end of the scene. He's like genuinely affecting about like how much he loves his daughter and how he's desperate to get her back. He pays any price. And it's like that guy did some fucking work, man. Mm-hmm. To go like as like a visible transformation in terms of character, and then at and he's at his lowest, and he like he wipes his face, and then once that you know uh, not napkin, Jesus handkerchief leaves his face, the mask is back. It's just all iron and stone. I was like, God damn, that is fu- that was I wasn't expecting this from this nineteen seventy one black exploitation film, and I feel like a lot of it you got to hand it to Gordon Parks, the director who. By all accounts, I don't know much about this guy's work. You know, he did a couple of Shaft films and he's done some plays and some poems. But his first film is this thing called The Learning Tree, which I guess Roger Ebert liked quite a bit. And is this intimate Hmm. coming of age, semi-autobiographical tale of his childhood. And it cratered (laughs) like nobody, nobody. Yeah, nobody in America. There's no market for that. So like to survive he wanted to do something commercial and studio ready. And he found this thing that I think was intended to be like, it's like Shaft is a black hero in the novel, but they were going to whitewash him and turn him into a white guy. He got attached. Dude. It's like when you hear, we we just talked about this on mean streets, like that. uh, Who was it? The wanted Martin Scorsese to turn mean streets. He was Roger uh, Corman wanted in order to secure funding from Corman. He, that was his request. Yeah, because you had the sweet, sweet back, sweet, what, I forget, the the Mario Van Peebles, wasn't that? And then you've got Shaft, and then, like, oh, we got to get into this black exploitation, And it would be just, I mean, obviously, it'd be just as wrong to do Shaft that, that dirty. But, um, oh, yeah. But, like, he brought, like, he's also the civil rights activist, and he brought, like, a sensitivity and a sophistication to the material that, like, gave us these, like, intense Mosey bug, uh, gun or Moses gun performances and... You know, I think some of the sophistication in the dialogue and um, and unfortunately it brought a disinterest to action that yeah. I think lets the, the if, if you you if you're anything like me, you will get like four fifths away through this movie thinking I can't I, I this like movies deserves twice as big of a legendary reputation as it does like people like, oh, yeah, it's just like be black exploitation film and it's like no this is like every bit as good as any action film i've seen in like the 80s 90s whatever mm-hmm. 
and then the movie tries to shift to a different gear and misses the shift and kind of grinds the transmission for a while and so it's like yeah. if, if you if if you are disappointed it'll probably be the last act of this film but even then it's not a it's the only flaw. complaint it's i just, have yeah it's same same like i like i said i i, I every single time like i'm like this this movie's gonna have to oh here's the cringe part nope okay you always going to talk to the cops and it's like it's gonna be real cringe here nope <laughs> Oh, Shaft is going into the gay bar. This is where it's going to get yeah, really fucking cringy. Yeah. This Shaft refuses to be cringe. Yeah. He's too smooth He's for too that, man. Fucking cool and smooth and doesn't have time for your fucking bullshit. Uh, <laughs> That's the thing. He won't put up like, with bullshit. I love it. Yeah, like in, in in like Martin Scorsese wishes Mean Streets was this this free of cringe watching in 2023 and it just isn't. And the other thing is like I was mildly surprised that this movie won the uh producers. But then I found out that Richard uh Roundtree died just like 2 weeks ago, late October. Oh. Hmm. At the ripe old age of I think 82. And I'm like, oh, that had to we we must have posted that vote like close to the day of, and of course. So yeah, like yeah. this is kind of like uh we didn't intend this to be. We did not know that when we like we picked those things out like two weeks before you guys voted on it. But like, yeah, kind of like the the things kind of lined to, to turn this into like a tribute po- uh podcast for the man because uh Wow, I didn't yeah, know that first, until right now. Actually, I know so first, that's amazing. Cause I, I, cause the thing is that the Wikipedia article was talking like he's still alive, uh, you know, like been updated. And, and I'm like, when I was looking at, because I was looking at the background of these guys, I'm like, oh, the interesting paragraphs is like, it's a lot of is, is, is like, wow, mm. he must be pretty old. And I looked and I saw 82 and I'm like, holy fuck. And I'm like, death, October, 2023. Yeah. It just happened. Wow. So, wow. But I mean, this movie is just like if you like the legacy section of this Wikipedia article is as long as the normal movie section that you get in every mm-hmm. where it's like talks about the production and the casting and the plot and all that stuff like the legacy and the impact and the, like it's just got twice as long as that because it, it is it's legendary. It's like this is, you know, one of the first times you saw a black man in a commanding, confident, heroic position and you'd seen those before, but you'd never seen a guy like that win. Sure. and like get over on everybody um and just that like yeah you could say that there's some things that are dated and like you know like the look and the sound but like i i think the look and sound it's it's because i kept on seeing that like all oh, the films dated for this is dated for that honestly i don't know man like it feels dated in a way that's authentic like it feels like it was filmed in the streets of new york because it was like the music yeah. and yeah, I mean, I, how can you say the the music is dated no, the music is is perfect. I mean, yes, it's dated, but this is exactly the movie you would want to make if you were trying to make a period piece right now. Like th- this yeah. is the hundred percent the look you would want. Yeah, it's dated, but perfectly so. It's if you made this movie in twenty twenty three about this time period and you hired out someone to make a soundtrack, mm-hmm. you'd want them to make this. It's not like you know, like Bloodsport's a dated soundtrack. It's right, dated right. and it no longer like, yo, know, like maybe the Caribbean drums were really hot because it was in commando and all that stuff. But like nowadays, it's just like it's this mismatch. It's like doesn't fit the theme. It doesn't fit the characters or the movie. It's just like mm-hmm. jarring, um, like going to the prom and like, you know, a pumpkin colored 1970s tux. Right. But like, yeah, yeah it's it's of the time, but it's 
perfectly suited no, to, what it, ha- to what it is. Halloween is a dated movie. Halloween is a movie that doesn't hold mm. up because of the era it was made in because people hadn't figured out the formula for this thing yet. Shaft nailed the formula in one. That That's the thing. It First time out of the gate, it won the freaking yeah. race, man. Uh, they They nailed it. Yeah, there, there, I, aren't I mean, any, I, there aren't any rough edges to really smooth off this movie with maybe one exception that we'll talk about at the end. Um, now, I, I know that there are many other Shaft movies. There's like three or four, maybe even five. And I imagine that you probably can't heap this praise on all of them because like all the sequels of this area kind of suck and get progressively worse. But oh, I'm sure. Uh, but like for this, the the OG original, it, it fucking holds up like a champ. Um, like I said, ultimately, I thought the ending was kind of a bit of a letdown, but... I really enjoyed the journey to that place, and it does. It's not. A, it's not a fatal flaw. I would. I, if you haven't seen this movie, I really encourage people to check it out because it's just, it's just fucking cool, man. It's really fun to watch. Yeah, it, I'm surprised that I haven't seen more of Richard Roundtree because uh, I think he's incredibly charismatic in this role, and I guess it's just the era, right? Like he was just born in an era where black stars didn't break out of black film. Yeah, and, and he's it, kind of like pigeonholed in this thing like for yeah. most of his early like leading man era of his career it's like shaft and shaft parodies and like you cast him to be like oh look at shaft yeah and there's a huge like strict divide between like what black people are watching and what the mm-hmm. what hollywood is watching right so like mm-hmm. yeah just growing up i never saw anything that he was in um or if i did it was like such a minor role that they gave him that i didn't know anything i didn't notice him it's because I, you know, I watched Roots back when I was a kid, and like he's in that, and that was a huge cultural phenomenon, and like it's probably like having Richard Roundtree in that, but like I can't, I can't, I can't see, I can't see his face in the role. Like I'd have to watch Roots again to to place it. But like, yeah, he has been in some things, but it's a lot of it mm-hmm. was. It seemed mm-hmm. like a lot of his career was kind of like Shaft tribute stuff. So, yeah. Um, but he's really like he's a very sturdy action hero. He looks good doing it. He looks ama- like the fucking outfits he's got, the leather jackets. Like I thought it was like it'd be like one wardrobe. He just have like, but no, he's uh, like I think he's got like seven different leather jackets. They're all <laughs> subtly different shades of blacks and browns with slightly mm-hmm. different cuts and lengths and width of lapels. And he's got Glossiness. like a never any ca- yeah. <laughs> cavalcade of like tucked in turtleneck tactical sweaters and. Mm-hmm corduroy sh- uh, the, the fucking pants and these leather boots and it's great yeah um i got and, and like even like the one thing i kept on thinking is like there's going to be a lot of blatant misogyny and i i think that's like the most you could that, that you know um shaft's a complicated man and the only one that understands him is his woman mm-hmm. maybe she's a little too understanding uh maybe he keeps her in the dark a bit too much for my taste but if you updated that that character just a little bit, like this would be a thoroughly modern sensibility feeling movie, I think. Um, but then again, I'm a 47 year old white guy from Indiana, so take take that uh, for what it's worth. I I just think Shaft is uh, he's a bad mother. Mm-hmm. You know. We'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause. And now back with more bald move. Do we want to, I mean, we probably need to get into a spoiler section of, of, of sorts if we want to talk about Shaft in a little bit more organized fashion. Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen Shaft, I think we've gotten a pretty good uh, idea, but uh, Richard Roundtree is John Shaft. 
He is a private detective licensed in New York City. Uh, he's a man of the streets, a man of the people. Um, he is, like I said, like they, they do a good job in early establishing this movie. It's just kind of showing you what, a, what kind of guy he is. And he hears that some big time crooks from Harlem are seeking a meeting with him. And uh, he is, uh, he's, 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 they, they, the goons try to grab him. And it turns out they're not there to kill him. They want to offer him a job. Their boss's daughter has been abducted and no one knows where she's at. And they need Shaft Street Smarts and his underworld connections and his uneasy alliance with the police to get, get justice in the streets of New York City circa 1970. And uh, that's it. He's trying to, the whole movie, he's trying to get this, uh, get this man's daughter and return him to him. Uh, where do we want to start? Maybe with the name John Shaft. Shaft is a hell of a name. I love the name Shaft. I think it's a great private eye name. I think it's a great action hero name. Uh, yeah, I think it's a great like, lover man kind of name. Shaft is just sure. an all around amazing name, and then they fucking pair it with the standard ass John. I I when I heard his first name, I could not believe my ears. And look, I know what did you John Matrix, you John Rambo. I, there's a storied history of amazing John characters, but Hell John yeah. Shaft. What did you want it to be? Something cooler, man. Something that cooler stands up to. Okay. Or maybe maybe it would have taken too much focus off the last name if you give him a cool. I feel first like it's name, very but... like like terse, like to go with the kind of machine gun dialogue. You know, like Sam Spade, John Shaft. Like it's very. Oh, yeah, it could be a single monogram. syllable. But like, what if what if Dominic Toretto's name was John Toretto? I mean, Dom is just such a better, cooler name, right? Like Dom Shaft. I'm not saying it has to be Don, but it's got to be something cool. John is not cool. (laughs) All the Johns out there shrinking in their car seats and you've known your whole lives. You've known it's not John is (laughs) not a cool name. You do have the default name for dudes in the Western world. John, and honestly, a lot of worlds like Ivan's you too. We're we're, we're coming from you. When they don't know know what to call people, they name them John, John Doe, John. Yeah, true. True. He said, "God damn, Shaft is such a cool name. What do we call him? I don't know, John. That's why everybody calls him Shaft, except for his lady. You know, yeah. And she calls him Baby. <laughs> uh, so there's, um, I, I like the, the the early establishing scenes where they show like the kind of guy that John is. Oh and yeah. Shaft is, and like he goes up to this uh, one of the first interactions he has is like this old white guy who's blind and he's stuttering." And he has this uh, conversation, treats him like a person. There's this, this witty thing about like, hey, did you notice those cats might have come the Harlem way? And he's like, they all look the same to me, pal. Like, uh-huh. the, uh, the only it. white man in, in America that could claim that he's <laughs> colorblind. And, John you know, Shaft did too. Yeah. He, he's like, yeah, I love the joke. He's like, you know, <laughs> making, puffing people up. And I really enjoyed the... Um, the montage of him like beating the doors and like asking people where this guy is and uh-huh. you know with like this really cool Isaac Hayes kind of soul co- cover where the lyrics kind of sort of match thematically but not exactly it's not like Gilligan's Island but um no but they tell yeah. you everything you need to know about what kind of guy John is right <laughs> yes I'm gonna call him John for the rest of this podcast <laughs> uh 
They, they, no, I won't. Uh, they tell you everything you need to know about Shaft, right? He's a guy who doesn't take shit. He stands up for the, the people in his community. And that that's it, man. And he's walking around and you see him like wa- just strolling through traffic. That like, oh my completely God. jaywalking against right Dude. of way. And, I and gives the bird to some guy who almost runs him over. I just screamed the way he just flows through traffic. Uh-huh. Like, this is like a six-lane, one-way, busy thoroughfare in New York. And it's it's not like at a stoplight. The cars are moving, and he's just kind of like stepping between the raindrops, man. It, it, it's it's so... like he is the city, right? Like, he is one with this city in a way that few people are. Like, all those yeah. establishing shots with the soundtrack and how funky it is and how, mm. like, meaningful the lyrics are once Isaac Hayes starts singing... Mm-hmm. All that stuff works super well to establish this mm-hmm. movie in a very short time. And the character of John Shaft. Yeah, I kept on thinking like Bruce Willis as, you know, another John McClane. Um, just like that. <laughs> oh, that's, Jesus, you're right. Like, like, honestly, it's the exact same type of charisma where like John McClane walks into a room with three terrorists holding a machine gun and he's like naked mm-hmm. with his feet bleeding and he's like, oh, you jack off. So I'm going to kill you in like five minutes. And uh, somehow like, he's like, controlling oh, that situation. I think a New York City cop is quite out of his element with this terrorist situation, John <laughs> McClane. Yeah, well, you know, suck a dick. And like just that thing, nothing phases him. John Shaft's like, I don't know. I lost track of how many times you walk in a room. The toughest guy in a room stands up. is like, you and I got beef, John Shaft. And John Shaft's like, sit down and shut your fucking mouth. Mm-hmm. And the guy sits down and shuts his fucking mouth like, what did did like yeah. John Shaft kill three guys with an axe? Is he like a Luca Brazzi where people just terrified of what? Like, just keep this man in cool mode because he ever switches to because and that's the thing. I maybe that's why I was so let down by the movie, the end of this movie. Mm. Um, are we ready to talk about that? Because it's the one flaw of the movie. It is. It's the one big flaw. Yeah. So they build him like every time he comes in these rooms, like like fucking Bumpy, who is essentially, uh. Um, Denzel Washington's character from American Gangster. Yeah, or Loy from that, last season of Fargo, right? Like, that's kind of the context I was put a lot of this stuff in. Yeah, he just runs all of the racket the the uh, the uh, in the black neighborhoods. Like, he is, like I said, he's Denzel Washington and American Gangster. He's that level. Mm-hmm. And, j- j- like, he sends these... That's, that's a funny thing is, like, the, with the way the movie plays out in retrospect, like, you can see the... Um, Bumpy's like god damn it I gotta hire John Shaft for this because you know, that's a situation I, he's the only guy I can trust he's the only one's like <sighs> alright I'm gonna send my two non-gooniest goons after him the sharpest dressing the like looking like businessman guys I'm gonna send them to go pick him up politely Shaft sees this coming a mile away and he's like fucking uh-huh. Bumpy sending goons after moi <laughs> <laughs> fucking gets the drop on throws one out the window cripples the other like i don't know and then like when the mob boss is calling like what the fuck i just want a conversation like you the fuck you know where my fucking office is clang hangs up the phone <laughs> yep and then when they do show up and they're trying to hire him for this job he says if you ever send another goon at me i'm gonna throw him out another fucking window and then i'm coming for you but before then, this guy's like, okay, so it's already like the balls on this guy to make Denzel Washington from American Gangster come down from his hideout to go to his shabby office. Uh-huh. And he shows up with his <laughs> gooniest goon, and ju- he's not even there. Yeah. And the, 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 uh, the 
yeah and like oh my like this is all the setup and then like he's like okay breaking his office we're gonna do the thing where i'm gonna sit in his desk chef sees this shit and he's like uh-uh you're in my chair get, <laughs> get, get the fucking chair and the office is so small that there's this awkward kind of shuffle for them to exchange places like yep. so like yep. you're probably like me when like uh you know like i keep on like god what is about this guy is he like a Rorschach type where he just like, if you get him in the red mode, he's just going to kill every motherfucker in the room and that's it? Like, what is going on? And the last act in the movie, this movie hits and this, it turns into the raid redemption where it's like, oh my God, uh, John Shaft is going to lead a handpicked team of Black Panther commandos mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. Italian mafiosa ran hotel and save this young black woman and kick all the ass doing it. And he's got like dudes with, paracord coming out of the building and he's got dudes with fire hoses uh, and machine guns and like improvised and systematically explosives. taking out each of the employees at the hotel and replacing them with their guys it's really this intricate. is going to be raid redemption by way of oceans 11 mm-hmm. and then i think you said it when we were talking about it in the podcast like the action resolve with john shaft swinging through a window the bomb doesn't even really do anything no, I, I thought they were setting up a big like, OK, we got to flush them out and then we'll get, you know, in the chaos, we'll get them right. I thought they were setting up like he's trying to find something that's going to burn hot enough. And he's got this rolled up newspaper and he's like, right. what do you got that'll help it burn hotter? I'm like, oh, OK. And I see them unrolling a fire hose. I'm like, they're going to set off the fire alarm in this building, sure. flush out the Italians and use that as an opportunity to grab the girl. No, no. What happens with that firebomb? He throws it through the window that he swings in two seconds later and then just shoots a bunch of people. That's it. Yeah. It's such uh, an anti-climax. Grabs, like they they grabs spend so the much time daughter, setting it up. Gra- grabs a mob's daughter, slings, him, sling, slings her over his shoulder like a fireman and just he's out and loads him in attacks. And then, so it's like, I thought it's like, oh, there's going to be a getaway. Oh, it was too. He's like no. Princess Leia. It's, our escape was too easy. The movie ends thirty seconds after he closes the door to the mobster's daughter. Yep. With a pretty funny payoff of a joke. <laughs> sure. But it's it's like it's it's Jack it's it's Shaft calling his detective buddy or his police buddy, uh, doing a callback from halfway from halfway point in the movie and laughing his ass off at his own joke like he's done for the fourth time in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And credits roll and he walks away from the phone booth. Like it's very shaft, but it's such a letdown for all the setup that they had done for the last 20 minutes. Cause yeah, they t- it's like, he's a bad, like when am I going to see him being a bad motherfucker? I see everyone recognizing he's a bad motherfucker mm-hmm. and not wanting to mess with the bad motherfucker. But other than like a sh- savage liver punch, mm-hmm. like that he gave the goon early on that he's just about to throw out the window. And I guess he did throw, he threw a dude out the window. Yeah. That yeah was he cool. killed a man. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he is that crazy. These guys were just there on an errand. Like, they were there to <laughs> fetch groceries, and they got their ass thrown out the window. And, uh-huh. the way Sh- and the way Shaft turned on the guy and is like, the cops are going to come, and they're going to want to know why you threw that dude out the window. Like, yeah, <laughs> No, it's great. And but then, yeah, yeah I, like... I wish the ending was better. That's the only thing. I wish, I wish the payoff was better. Because the ending isn't bad. It's just the payoff is not commiserate with the setup they did. And I kind of felt like I felt like the two and a half stars Roger Ebert gave Shaft was harsh. Oh, that is harsh. Yeah, it is really harsh. But like the way he wrote, it's like, you know, this is this great 
character and a great cast, um, but the director didn't have any interest in inhabiting the world that he created. And I think what he's trying to say there, because I don't fucking know, but I think he's trying to say there is like what we're trying to get at is like, this guy clearly built this mythically powerful action hero, but then when you finally get in, like you're, we're just fucking drooling and gagging for like, I want to see the bad motherfucker. I want to mm-hmm. see why Samuel L. Jackson has that shit branded on his wallet. I got to see. And it's just like, like Gordon Parks had no interest in shooting that much action. Yeah. But also like the thing that bothered me is like, I, why did he build it up that way? Cause I felt like he shoots a lot I was of suspense, kind of, but not, but not the action, not that he shoots a lot of the buildup, but not the breakdown. Right. And that's what I'm, as long as I'm saying, it's like, I was perfectly content the entire movie to watch like shaft just kind of like smoothly operate his way through this movie and, and, and trick people verbally and get to drop on them and confuse them and use the superior knowledge of his, the, the his neighborhood and the connections. I didn't mm-hmm. need a big, I didn't need the raid redemption times ocean 11, but Having said that, with 20 minutes to go, you promised me the Raid Redemption by Ocean's Eleven. I kind of yeah. want to see it. And man, the one the one payoff, it was like, obviously, they're going for something where the Black Panthers are hosing down the white folks with the yeah, it's fire hose. Thing. Um, and there was a... There, that, but, the, like but, there they, some, but the mafia, the Italian mafia was not the one hosing black people. It's just... They would if they know. could. They, totally, they would yeah. if they had fire trucks. I don't know what it know, is, from... but it, Italians apparently hate black people. I, I don't understand it, but um, I think they hate everyone that's not like the be on the be fair. They hate everyone that's yeah. not Italian American. They hated right? Irish. They hated yeah, the, yeah, the English, the, <laughs> the Mick Krauts, the everything. Um, for sure. So yeah, if you're not, and, and I'll probably uh, they, they hate Italian Americans that are in the mafia. So true. They uh they're they're pan 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 uh and what do you call it missing misanthropics um mm-hmm. but yeah that's like I said that's the one flaw and it's like it's kind of a big one because it it does let a lot of the air out of the movie that had built up really nicely um but I do wonder it's like was it the Gordon Parks just like you know this kind of thoughtful poet playwright civil rights activist like just didn't have any interest in the action. Or was it like a budget issue where like they actually did have like this lavish shootout and stuff planned and they just like shit, man, we spent all spent all the money spent all the money for on leather coats for Richard and boots and just got <laughs> nothing be. left in the budget. Yeah, it was possible. Uh I don't know, whatever it is, it was the only dissatisfying part. Everything else is amazing. Uh can, let me ask you this, because this is the other I don't know if it's a flaw or it might just I just saw the movie once. Can you walk me through Bumpy's plan for Shaft here? Because so, there's so something the that happens in the middle of the movie the I can't ends, understand. Right? Like that, that's the thing. Like the, the other thing that stands out to me about the end of this movie is nothing is resolved because the mob war is still gonna happen. It's just they don't you have the think. card to play with Bumpy's daughter. That like Bumpy can act freely. He can like go to the mattresses against them. I, I suppose so. Yeah, because he doesn't have that card to play. But like, the war is still going to happen. He still took their corners. They still want him back. Like, so I, I feel like the movie stops before the story ends. But like, yeah, the the idea here I think is that Bumpy, over the course of the past however many years, has moved in on what used to be the mafia's uh, operation here in Harlem and mm-hmm. some other black areas of New York and the mafia is not happy about it 
and they've mm. been over the years like i guess putting up more of a stink and now it's coming to a head where the mafia has gone in they've kidnapped his daughter um and so he's got to respond and so his response in the middle of this movie is he sends i think a bunch of dudes to go kidnap one of their one of their big players and that yes. com- that mission fails that mission is a uh fuck up and now he's got nothing right um and, and i think i think the mission that he sends them on is the same one that he sends shaft over to where he finds ben am i wrong about that okay because like because this is where it gets confusing the core confusion i don't know who showed up and killed all those black panthers um like i feel like bumpy is it another retaliation from the mob from from the mafia yeah like this but like but how would they know? Because and they also the police chief implied, not the chief, the lieutenant implied that they mm. were targeting Shaft, not uh, Ben, the Ben Buford and his crew. So like, did yeah? So who would know that they he was there at that particular time? And I feel like the only one that would have is Bumpy. Like why? Like like did Bumpy turn like the Italian mafia on the Shaft, hoping that Shaft would kill them all? And then, but like I felt like and when Shaft confronted him. Capture- or that they would capture one of their heavy hitters, like he was coming to the scene, or, or like did Bumpy? Because the other thing that does, like, so the other thing that would make sense, except for it doesn't, is like if Bumpy is like, okay, I'm gonna hire John to find uh, Ben Buford, who I think might have kidnapped my daughter, and to try to get my daughter back, and I'm also gonna send my goons there to kill Ben Buford and his crew. And like we'll see who gets the job done first, but that doesn't make sense because no, he I claims later that he that he knew that it was the mafia who took his daughter. Yeah, and like so, why why did he send the so so my, so then it's like okay, a possible motive is like he I am sending John as like a Trojan horse to win the allegiance of Ben Buford and his Black Panther crew. That otherwise would have no interest in working with us. They would never even hear my offer out. Yeah. I'm going to get them with skin in the game so that they... But that doesn't really make sense either because why wouldn't he... Why why wouldn't he just tell Shaft the truth? Like, why was he like, oh, I'm, I'm scamming you? It's like, but were you? I mean, I don't know. Like, would Shaft not have taken it if he knew the mafia was involved? It doesn't seem like it. No, he seems fine with that. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Like- and does Bumpy not have his own guys that could, you know, do as much damage as Ben's guys could do, or is it just that they're on the mafia's radar and he needs somebody off the radar? That's what I'm saying. Maybe because that makes sense too. Like plausible deniability. Like, I didn't fucking kill your dude. Sure. These Black Panthers. Like yeah, I don't know if you know. Pay attention. There's like a lot of race uh, strife out there. What are you gonna do? Yeah, like you guys keep saying the word. But- so what you expect? Yeah, <laughs> you know? true. But I've got like three different like motives and like presuppositions that work but they're all kind of like mutually yeah. contradictory because i feel like i'm missing one piece of the puzzle and I, I don't know what it is um one thing is like the mafia comes in real late in the game and mm-hmm. uh they're not really well fleshed out like it's weird because like in most like the most of the the you know sam spade type of stuff i've seen and read the it's like a very first person perspective like if it doesn't happen in front of Humphrey Bogart you're not going to know it and like this movie they did show a lot of like Bumpy having conversations with his guys 
and they had um, like Ben having conversation with his guys without Shaft being there. But they never, you never see like the Italian side of it. Like you have to kind of infer. And I don't know. There's a couple mm-hmm. loose, loose threads that I didn't quite connect it. But it, it honestly could be that I just only seen the movie once. Yeah, same here. I think a second watch would shed a lot of light on it. Um, I, I thought it was interesting especially in light of everything else I've said about the director of this movie, Gordon Parks, that he has this scene where, you know, I think like Gordon Parks would probably say that he thinks the Black Panther is pretty fucking righteous. I think the Black Panther is pretty fucking righteous. Uh, but he has a, this this Black Panther character who's like a, you know, Black Liberation trying to do for the neighborhood. Um, Black Panther, did, the outfit doesn't excuse guns and instead is like direct community action and try to keep people out of jail and help people. So, like, this is just, like, a morally upright, unassailable character. And he lets Bugsy's character, you know, they have the whole, like, well, why would they hate you, Bugsy? You're only poisoning their neighborhoods. You, like, pimp out their women, you know, murder their children. Like, why would the Black Panthers have a problem with you? But they give the, you finally see them meet. And you're like, oh, they're going to have this, like, this is going to be a Picard Q thing. And they kind of go at it. But then Bumpy comes out with, like, uh, it reminded me of, like, um, uh, uh, the Omar from The Wire. It's like when he's having the the you know a tit for tat with the lawyer, and he's like, you know, I you've got the briefcase, I've got the shotgun. It's all in the game. Mm-hmm. Bumpy put, uh, has this thing. It's like, yeah, like I sell women and smack. You smell blue skies and bullshit. We're the same. And he kind of lets Bumpy win that argument. I that that was surprising yeah. to me. Like I wow okay, just let let's let Bumpy have that one. I guess. Yeah, I mean the movie de- definitely has an opinion. It's it's you know it's an opinionated film in that it's trying to portray this hustle uh, from all sides, right? It's not just oh the people who are obviously hustling. It's everybody, everybody who's in a in a diminished like economic situation has to hustle just to survive. Uh-huh. And whether you choose to do it with guns and and smack or whatever, and or you choose to do it with like uh, hyping people up for a future that may never be, you know, the, the movie wants to say that those are roughly the same. Those are people operating in the same modalities, and like, kind of. That's a wild point of view, you know. And I I agree. I agree. Like that's uh, something that Omar can trot out against, like. You know, whoever that lawyer, that sleazy ma- lawyer yeah, is, yeah. but like he's you doing... can't say that the you can't say you can say that the Lester, sure, you couldn't fucking right. say that the Lester Freeman. <laughs> He'd say, "What the fuck are you talking about? Isn't my I don't got no fucking briefcase. I got a badge, god damn it, and a dollhouse, and that's all I need." Um, yeah. I felt like, and then they didn't he like so I'm like I'm kind of already like wow I did not expect that conversation to go that way, and then like thirty seconds later. Bumpy kind of proves his point that like this guy's all about money because this guy takes like $10,000 for his murdered guys. And the kind of the, the implication mm-hmm. is he's going to keep most of that. Like he's definitely going to share with the living, but like, and he's going to use it for the community and all that. But like, it did play a lot more into like, yeah, you guys are two sides of the same, you know, one guy's selling heroin for escapism. One guy's selling black liberation and they're the same. I'm like, wow. That that was um, I I was I was wondering if they were going somewhere with that endeavor that just kind of like seemed to stand. Well, he he's got a price, right? I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, he wants to talk a good game, like oh, he's doing something inherently different than what Bumpy is doing. But then 
he's willing to go do Bumpy's dirty work if he can get enough money to get some of his guys out of jail. And like, yeah. the motives might be different, but the the game is kind of the same, you know? Yeah. And they do have, like, I think the one, the one way they kind of toe the line is that this is essentially a righteous mission. You know, this isn't like the Black Panthers uh-huh. running a, Saving a, girl. Uh, a fucking truckload of heroin across a border. It's like, and not just any girl. Like, yeah, he's bump, it's, she's Bumpy's girl. But, like, they make it clear that this is, like, a Michael Corleone before his fall. Like, yeah. this is, this, the like, Bumpy go is, straight. like, yeah, she's got a good head on her shoulders. She's going to college. She's going to go legit. She hasn't been in any part of this shit. She doesn't know about any of this shit. She's a true innocent. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like what ultimately makes like everyone's kind of alliance to get her back work. Like this is an alliance that's going to fall apart the second that that all transacts. And there's also the implication that like, and this is a maybe a, a private eye joke too, that like Shaft has got like this deal where he may, should make 50 grand out of this deal. I don't think he's going to see a dime because like every single time he goes to Bumpy and be like, the rates have gone up. You better pay this or better pay Bumpy's like, yeah, sure. <sighs> blow smoke right in Shaft's face it's like all right well you can talk tough but like is Bumpy going to keep his money at the end of the day I don't know yeah it depends on his his code of honor right um and he says look I can make more money I can't get a new daughter and I think he's appreciative appreciative of the work that Shaft is doing for him but sure I mean once his daughter is back where's the incentive like he's untouchable anyway but I guess it's the that's where the rubber meets the road. It's like, is he actually afraid of John Shaft? It can like, does yeah. he think when John Shaft's like, if you fuck me, I'm going to come and kill you, and I mean it, I mean it, Bumpy. Does and like, I can get to you, yeah. And that's that's when Bumpy blows a cigar right in his face. It's like I don't. Every single time, it's like I kind of got the idea that Bumpy's like, yeah, I don't fuck with you lightly, but I will fuck with you because I'm Bumpy, and you're just. Yeah, you know, it's like the, it's like the boss and John Wick. It's like, yeah, he's horrified that his son's done this and it's unpleasant. But like, I'm still going to fight you, John, and I'm probably going to kill you. So that guy was wrong. Maybe I, this guy is, too. I, I want to talk more about the characters here, because like I, I have some things to say about Bumpy and some things to say about Shaft. Okay. Uh, Bumpy is like as cool as Shaft is. Bumpy might be cooler. Like Bumpy, I there's love this Bumpy. scene where Shaft goes to Bumpy and he takes Ben in and right there having this conversation in his office yeah. and they're, you know, saying, okay, we're going to need more money. We need money to get my guys out of jail. And every time Bumpy's there, just like puffing his little cigarette, blowing mm. the smoke out, leaning a little bit further in his chair. Mm-hmm. And by the time that thing is over, he is... He is literally lounging with his feet up on a couch, and if he were to get any more relaxed, he'd be on the floor. It's he incredible. Like, do you remember Malice in the Palace where Ron Artest went into the crowds uh, in the Detroit Pistons for that one Pacers game and ended the Pacers season? And fought him? Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, because like, you remember Ron Artest lying on the scoring table right before the, the like was it a pop or a popcorn hit him? Because that's, no. that's what I thought Bumpy was doing. He's... He is lounging like Ron Artest on a scoring table, just like hearing all these people talking shit and not giving a fuck. It's completely mm-hmm. unbothered. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. At the end, he's looking up at the ceiling, lounging on his couch, smoking his cigarette, not caring the and world. That's, I that's, love it. that's why I really thought that that him talking like getting real about his daughter really worked because it's the one time the mask kind of slips and you can see like the vulnerable, scared man underneath. Yes. Yeah, he's, every, he's not every as other, cool as he portrays. Every other scene, he's trying to evil shaft, out shaft, shaft, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. 
Uh, and then uh, let's let's talk more about Shaft because I think they do an amazing job establishing him as a character and who he is. But they do some things that are a little more subtle with like the the shining esque nature of some of the architecture in the brownstones here. How Shaft is always able to mm. manage to sneak his way in a back door somewhere. The, the back door, yes. There's all, yeah. They, I think they say the word back door like six different times in this movie because he's <laughs> they always, do, yeah. And but, it's but entertaining. It's it's weird because like some of it doesn't. I don't think the architecture makes sense, but it's it's puffing up his character, right? It's telling us that he's the guy that can, he is the man who can find a way into this building when it seems hopeless. He knows. Yeah, like, that, that gets back to that thing where he is the city, right? Yeah, like like when the, all the other Black Panthers who are in their building and their hideout are heading for the roof to get away, he's like, "Don't you won't go to the roof? We go yep. that, this way." And then like cut to a scene of those dudes getting absolutely murdered in a stairwell, and like mm-hmm. fucking Shaft, man. Yeah, you're right. He's got that almost supernatural ability to move. I, I mean, look at like with him in traffic. That's like kind of setting us up. Exactly. For it. He's like moving. Yep. He's flowing through this like like you know water flowing through river stones it's just it's amazing so smooth mm-hmm. we'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause and now back with more bald move what do we make of john shaft's relationship with his woman yeah let's talk about lover shaft there's fighter shaft there's lover shaft like they make this woman, which I don't even know. Did they even mention her name? Uh, not that I remember. No, but they have this relationship where it's like I feel like she doesn't need or want Shaft. She just uncritically loves Shaft mm-hmm. and provides whatever emotional and physical support he needs whenever he asks for it. Um, and she's totally fine because like it seems like she's got her own money, her own things going on. She's always coming in the door with like a bag or like she's been out for like so she's got her own life. Um, but like, what does she get from Shaft other than a boatload of trouble? Because he's like, I mean, ah, this dude just got shot I up. Mean, you need to hide. It's well, in the name. Come on, that's true. <laughs> you do get you do get to come home to John Shaft lounging on a big pile of furs in front of your um, fireplace, holding a Marvin Gaye record. Right, uh, that's on tap. I only half but, expected to see John Shaft's ass in this movie, but we I, I was surprised we didn't we we do see it. You know, uh, um. But it's like, uh, you know, he has no, like, uh, he's not beholden to her because, like, you know, no. there's a fine woman at a, you know, with, uh, with as the gay man describes, groovy boobs. I love how the gay yeah, man Linda. describes a woman's body like a four-year-old boy. Like, oh, it's gross uh-huh. and it's icky. Um, he has no compunctions about fucking her, but he doesn't accord her respect. No, no. And somehow, like, he respects his, but as like I said, it's like I... This is the one thing that's a little yikesy, and like I wonder if it gets like more so in like the sequels, because like otherwise, like yeah, this. Um, and it's like I said, it's not like the thing is, it's like uh, what makes it work is his woman seems like she's completely self sufficient and has no problem with the relationship. It's just like yeah, like yeah, she's getting the good di- the good D. That's what she's getting. Yeah, no, what's well, nothing wrong with that? I I, I was kind of shocked with how reserved some of the 
more sexual parts of this movie are uh i i would have expected a lot more nudity female nudity yeah. in particular uh but the art the artful way they do that sex scene is was the most shocking thing about it to me is that they yeah. do it with like a, a lower back massage essentially and a bunch mm-hmm. of like colored lights that are mm-hmm. flashing and some moaning and that's it yeah it, it, I, but I, I still thought it was pretty sex. I mean, I, I think because that's it I, is. It is. When, it's just not. When you were talking graphic. about that, about being taught. And I know that there was like probably although I think this is the transition where things started to get more graphic, like in terms of violence and uh-huh. sexuality. And, you know, you're going to have full on, you know, Sharon Stone's going to flash Beeve like 15 years from now or whatever. But right now it's like and also it's like I, I looked it up and like the episode where Kirk kissed Uhura on Star Trek and like everything fucking south of the Mason Dixie line almost rose again and canceled Star Trek that happened like four years before this movie so like to have like this Mm -hmm. black male body on display in all of its glory on this big pile of fur and to have a black man having sex like full nude scene with a white woman Mm -hmm. um, like it probably it, it probably was seen as like uh, pretty avant-garde at the time, like that level of sexuality with these yeah, particular people so. and those combinations were probably yeah, it, it was a lot more uh, <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, I suppose so. So they had to make it art artful, otherwise it would have just been too exploitative. I don't know. Although to be honest, like I feel like that's kind of like how Gordon Parks wanted to roll with it. Like he wanted to yeah. make a commercial, but he wasn't. He didn't want you know. It's like yeah, I'm making black exploitation, but I'm not. Um, and that's the other thing is like I hadn't I I didn't realize until reading about this movie that I really understood what exploitation meant in terms of art. Yeah, like, I always thought it was like exploiting the subject material to, um, like cater to a wider audience's stereotypes about that. Like a black exploitation mm. film would be a film about black people made for white audiences that would have a sure a black hero, but it'd be so couched in the stereotypes that they understood that it's like, we kind of feel maybe gross today, but that's not what exploitation means. Exploitation is essentially in a lot of exploitation films are lurid because you are kind of like doing this outside. Yeah. But like, it literally means like just exploiting like a new audience or a novel trend in culture. Like you could argue that the entire MCU is comic book nerd exploitation. Sure. Because this is an underserved, not taken serious audience that someone's like, you know what? There's mm-hmm. there's some dimes clinking in those pockets. Let's fucking cater and get and and give them exactly what they want and make a shit ton of bank because no one has ever treated this yeah. audience with any kind of respect. And so it's like is I don't like I always thought it was a negative term because I'm a rube apparently, but it's not. It's it's just it can be. Well, yeah, I, mean, it I can definitely be have strong things. associations with the lurid side of it uh, yeah. in my movie viewing history, but yeah. I suppose, yeah, from a strict definitional standpoint, it doesn't have to be that. So let's yeah. bring on the sci-fi exploitation because that's what I want. Like I'm an underserved market here. It. I think we might be entering it. I feel I feel I, I'm I'm ready to be exploiting, and I'm starting to feel exploited. It's exciting. I've got. A couple of pennies jingling around in my pockets. I'm willing to part with them. Come on. No dimes. This is 2023 no. after no. all. But yeah. we, Inflation we still have some pennies. Dimes and yeah. We have still some pennies, you goddamn ma- mouse and 
discover max like come get them the other thing come i love about this uh this sex scene is the aftermath of it when he's like you know walking down the street and vic comes up to him and he's like all right what you got on this case shaft what'd you get and he says i got laid <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly what he told the other cop he was going to do at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, he's like, "Where are you going to get laid? Where are you do? Where are you going?" Like, and then the, yeah, the way he just casually and then he maniacally that shit laughs. Off. Yeah, it's like he the setup for the ball busting happens like twenty minutes before the actual ball busting happens. Yep, love it. Um, that's the other. So and, we and talked the, about. Go ahead. The, the, speaking of exploitation, uh, the other thing about Shaft is he is willing to milk this contract for all it's worth. Because there's a scene immediately after this where he is going to his starting his investigation, right? And he's taking the cab around town or whatever, um, or or he's going to this meetup to get to get Ben. I think is what it is. And he gets in the taxi cab and he says, "Take your time. I'm early." After he gives him the address. Which to me is not him being like, oh yeah, I'm just going to take my time on this. It's him deliberately milking the $50 an hour <laughs> pay that he's charging Bumpy. Right. No questions asked. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love I'm it. Not submitting, I'm not submitting time reports on this. Um, yeah, that's, the, that's like I said, the, the one scene I was uh, uh, impressed by is like when they go, it, was it a gay bar? Were they implying that those mafia guys were at a gay bar? I don't know if it's a gay bar per se or if the bartender is just gay, but I, I couldn't. But like Shaft, I thought when he was calling the you know, the guy the person to like meet him down there that like the way it was being portrayed and the way the mafia guys were getting it is that he was setting up a gay hookup. And that he like really? I don't know, like I got but I might I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I just don't know what a mafia what mafia guy I, I like do mafia guys hang out in gay or like in bars no. that have like it's in, oh, like no, there was no, no. there was bars in the deuce that weren't gay bars, but they had gay and lesbian staffers, you know, in the village. Sure. Like did the mafia guys go to the fucking village and go to where all the queer folk are? Like I, I no, I think they had to here because this is where Shaft lives, right? Um, so they're just like at the bar across oh, this the street taking him bar. out. Oh, this is this is his local okay. bar. Yeah, I think because it's okay. across the street, right? He tells the the what happens here is he tells this uh, tweaker guy whatever to go up to his apartment and turn the lights on in two minutes, and then he goes immediately to this bar and starts mm-hmm. interacting with these mafia guys who are staking out his place. I think, which by the way. I don't think that ever popped off because I think that uh, the dude that was like blast out of his mind, he forgot what the hell he was doing and why he has $20 in his hand when he got halfway across the street. Yeah, probably. I didn't and think about like, it 10 minutes yeah, into the scene when the they, lights it, haven't gone on. They never pay it off either. It's like, yep. yeah, it's, it's like, I, uh, it's, I don't know if he's the most reliable uh, light sl- flipper you can get but he's also honest like when Shaft was like hey mm-hmm. could you turn this I'm already turned on man and he's clearly <laughs> clearly in orbit yeah um, but yeah like I, I was surprised at how um, extremely cool Shaft was with gay folks like he's super cool with the bartender bartender like slaps him on the ass and Shaft's like smiling and laughing like it's all love baby and then, like, even in the beginning, like, as I noticed there's a protest about Fidelifax. Like, these people are selling protest sign and, like, Shaft's going through the crowd, like, dapping people up. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if this is, like, some kind of civil rights. And it was. 
But apparently Fidelifax hmm. was like this Pinkerton agency type in New York City that researched people's sex lives to out them in public. Oh, wow. And like out like gay and lesbian people out in public and get them fired and like dis- disgrace them. So it's like hmm. super sexually progressive for its time. Uh, and like I said, all, like, yeah, all good things. Because like, you know, like this movie's aged a lot better in those respects than like Mean Streets, for example. Um, sure. And yeah, it's it's nice to see a movie this old that you don't feel like dirty <laughs> half the time watching it. I don't know, man. There's a lot of Coca-Cola ad uh, product placement in this movie. I felt a little dirty sometimes. That was just a strip, man. That's just New York's. Yeah. Yeah, it's authentic. When the cooler shows up in Dee's kitchen right next to her fucking fridge (laughs) with Coca-Cola blazing on the side, I'm like, come on now. Yeah. Well, at least he didn't crack it open like Billy Dee Williams, like, you know, look right at the camera and be like, after a long day of private dicking, I like cracking open a... Long neck Coca-Cola. Oh my god, Shaft is a private dick. I never I never made that connection. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Just talking about Shaft. Uh what else do we have in the way of talking about Shaft? I'm kinda I feel like I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting I'm ready I'm ready to to make a uh shut it shut it yourself shitty joke and laugh my way off into the credits. <laughs> uh there are a lot of good one liners in this movie. Um when he first calls Bumpy, Bumpy is like, how'd you get this number? Yes. And he says, off a bathroom wall in a goddamn subway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> again, and then like, yeah, like, things like, like essentially is like, you know, it's just like, well, I, I, I sent the guys to talk to you. It's like, I got an office. Boom. Slam the de- door down. Yeah. Slam the fo- phone down. Uh, I did like that. Like, you know, when Shaft's girl shows up and he's sitting there naked on her couch and she's like, are you okay, baby? And he's like, I've got to feel like a machine, and that ain't no way to feel, baby. And he just grabs that, like, come here, and he grabs her, and he's like, just like, yeah, he just like grabs her up, starts kissing her full on the mouth, and you know, boom, chicka, wah, wah. That that uh, got to feel mm-hmm. like a machine, and that no way to feel. I feel like that's gonna be in my back pocket for a while. Uh-huh. Uh, There's uh, did- some jokes I only understand because of the deuce. Like, uh, I I think it's Vic. Who tells him to just you know play play it cool when he goes to visit this guy or whatever, and he says I, I just want to find out his views on urban renewal, <laughs> which <laughs> yeah, oh man, it's good, it's good. Yeah, there's a lot of just like really, it's very it, it's it's very John McClane, just this him like giving someone trying to shovel mm-hmm. shit and then just shoveling it right back. Uh, oh yeah, and the guy just can't keep they just can't keep up. Um, I am curious. I'm. I'm. Uh, it might be fun to do another shaft for a bat, like a badass fest. I can't cool. imagine they're all this good. I can't imagine either. But maybe either go for the best or the worst one. Like you got Shaft's big payday. You got Shaft in Africa, which the cover of that Shaft-rica. DVD is wild. Um. So yeah, it might it might be fun to do because you know it's not not like we're above doing uh crazy fucking wild action movies that make no sense and are are not not good representations of a genre we did masters of the universe for god's sakes we did cobra <laughs> yeah i feel like we need to include a shaft in next year's badass celebration that would be that'd be good it would it would be i think it would be i think it'd be cool um i'm trying to think of how many ones they've got they got shaft shaft's big score shaft in africa oh that's there's just a three 
And then you got the two mm. um, Samuel L. Jackson shafts. Yeah, yeah. I guess you could do new shaft. And I, I had no idea that 20 years after the shaft revival, which I thought it was okay. I thought I thought the Samuel L. Jackson shaft is pretty good. Hmm. Um, they came, yeah they ran this back right before the pandemic in 2019. I n- had no idea. I don't know if it's direct to video or not, but there's like two movies called Just Shaft. One released in 2000, one released in 2019. Both um, the whole thing. Did you ever see those? The Samuel L. Jackson reboots? No, never saw. The whole deal with that is he's the nephew of Shaft. Okay, I saw Richard Roundtree's in them playing yeah John Shaft Senior. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh huh. Um, and love an every minute of it. I think that, if I recall correctly, that is that that stars like um, Christian Bale playing Cuban, maybe. Really? Uh, no. Jeffrey Wright's playing Cuban, which fair enough. It's Christian Bale. He just oh. plays. Uh, I forget what he's playing actually. Maybe he does try to play Cuban. I just remember like one like one of these performances being kind of like wow. Christian Bale, huh? Um, all right. What else we have to talk about? Any any more any more talking about Shaft? Nah, it's all just incidental stuff. Go watch Shaft. It's a good movie. All right, that's going to be it for Shaft. We just looked ahead, and our executive producers selected the next uh, podcast for it. We're going to be looking at the Da Vinci Code. Have you seen that movie, Jim? I have. Yeah. We, we are we are solidly in the pulp lane, baby. Uh, if can, you can, I like throw to... something out there that might be uh, a tease for next time. I remember liking uh, yes. that movie when I saw it. Okay. All right. I mean, yeah. That's a, that's that's a take we can work with. Uh, okay. If you'd like to get in, uh, uh, join our executive producers uh, on helping us decide which uh, pulp and prestige films to cover when we have the time to do and the the, the schedule to do so. It's super easy. It's one of the one of the top tier uh, reward perks on our Patreon. You can find out more by going to support.baldmove.com and uh, we appreciate your support in advance follow along with everything we're doing in terms of upcoming movie releases and other pulp and prestige releases on our social medias everywhere at bald move except for tiktok we're at baldest move and that will do thanks for listening we'll see you next time for the da vinci code and until then i'm aaron and i'm jim later